Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. Victorious. It's a good series title. It's a good idea. Like, everybody likes to win. I mean, maybe there's someone out there that really enjoys losing, but, I mean, I don't want to be friends with that person or play on a sports team together. <laughs> like, like, winning is, is way more fun. Um, there's some sports where winning is, is far more fun than others. I was a, a wrestler in high school. I talk about that a lot. But, but wrestling is one of those sports where it's, it's all or nothing. It's all on you. And, like, after, after six minutes, you walk off the mat, and either your hand was raised or it wasn't. It, it's not, there's no scores, you can't complain, it, it's just you lost or you won. And, and one of the things about wrestling you learn is that, like, if you left everything on the mat and you still lost, you know, it still sucks. <laughs> it doesn't matter that you gave it your all. Like, like, I remember matches where I just, I gave everything. I had no breath in my lungs, and I just, like, lost by a point, and, and I walked off the mat, and it's like, like, uh, I'm just like, ah, uh, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, my leg, and, like, I'm walking off like I was hurt, and I just defeated, but, but in the same situation, if I gave everything, I pushed through, and then I just squeaked by with a victory, I'd be, like, jumping and running, and, and I'd have energy, because there's something about being victorious that it, you just, you feel better. You just, it, it's like, it's like winning creates more winning, you know? It's like in, in like basketball when you're playing half court with your friends and it's make it, take it, right? If you make the shot, you get the ball. That just seems unfair. You're going to keep constantly winning because winning spurs on more winning. You get more energy and, and just victories stack on victories until like all you do is win no matter what. You know what I'm talking about. Like, I want, I want that kind of victory in our church, right? I want that kind of culture in our church. I, I want a culture of victory. I want to hear testimony after testimony of, of healing, of salvations, of coworkers coming to Christ, of your life being changed, of financial victory. I want to constantly hear those stories. I want our culture to become used to the idea of victory. Now, that, that isn't always going to be the case. You're going to stumble, and there will be some losses. But, but we want to start stacking more victories than we have defeats. I, I told you I was a wrestler, and, and I actually was a winning wrestler in high school. I know that because at my senior year banquet, they gave me a plaque with my record on it. I wrestled all four years, varsity, and, and my plaque had my record right at the bottom. And I hadn't actually known my record until that day. And I had 51 victories and 50 losses. So I was a winning wrestler by one match, <laughs> but still technically, a, you know, a winner. You wouldn't look at that record and go, wow, that's an overwhelming victory record, right? That guy won more than he lost. You'd be like, that's a 50-50 wrestler. I mean, by 
technically it's a 51-50 wrestler, but still, it's a 50-50 wrestler. Now, in high school, a, a winning record, a great record would be 100 victories. That's like a, a, a milestone in high school wrestling. If you get 100 victories in your career, that's, that's great. You know, a world-class wrestler will get like 115, 120 victories in a career if, they, if they've been really healthy and they've had a lot of matches, that kind of thing. And, and I certainly wasn't that. I barely skirted by with just victory. And, and I don't want that for our church or our culture. I don't want to just barely win more than we lose. I want victory after victory, story after story. I want the norm to be glorious. So today I want to look at an individual in the scriptures who is known and marked by multiple victories. He is identified as someone who wins all the time. Actually, we're going to be talking about David today. You know, the, the David who, who was crowned king of Israel, who was actually in the line of Jesus, whose son was Solomon, the wisest person of all, David from the Old Testament. And I want to talk about David because something we read in 1 Samuel 18, verse 14. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. That's why I want to look at David today in this victorious series. I want to identify what about David made him victorious so that we can become victorious. I want to look at an individual identified by Scripture as impossible to fail. He succeeded in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. And, and we're going to look at, at some of the past life. We're going to look at um, one of the most famous stories from David's life. But the first thing we have to identify is something that Candace talked about last week. What was the reason David wanted to be a winner? What were his motives? Why did David want to win? And, and I want to read you a long string of names and places and things that happened so that we can identify the why of David. Because it's important, as Candace said, that we know the why before we actually know the what. Because if you could know the what, I want to be rich. Well, there's lots of ways to become rich, and not all of them are right. You know, I, I, want, to, I want to get promoted. There's lots of ways to get promoted, but not all of them are right. There's lots of ways to get praise from other people, but not all of them are right. And the why matters. I was taught this when I was at, at the church I grew up at, at, the reason the why matters by my, my lead pastor, whose name was ironically Jerry. Um, I grew up with a, a lead pastor, Jerry, when I was a little. And his father was named Jerry, and he was my lead pastor. And then I moved here, and it was Jerry. It's just been a thing. But at that church, we had very ugly orange carpet. I've talked about it before, and I'll talk about it again. This was this burnt orange, red, gross orange carpet with orange pews. And one day, we had some flooding in the basement, and it, it, it destroyed the furnace and, and some electrical, and it was really bad flooding. So we had to bring in contractors to get quotes for the insurance company so that we could get it repaired. And one of the contractors walks in, he looks at the damage in the basement, and there is no damage to the, the, the upstairs where the, the pews and the carpet are. And he looks, and he writes up the quote, and he comes to my senior pastor at the time, and he says, if you'll go with me, I can get you all new carpet in the entire sanctuary. He's like, he's like I, can, I can make the numbers work, and, and we'll get the insurance to cover all new carpet and pews in the sanctuary. My pastor looks at him in the face, and this is something our church has wanted for decades, to change that ugly arm. He looks him in the face, and he says, get out of my building before I call the police, because the why mattered far more than the what. He would not allow the house of God to be corrupted by an insurance scam an individual who was willing to sell out their, their morals and motives to get a job. 
he wouldn't do it. And I remember thinking as a kid, because I didn't understand how insurance worked and, and then that was wrong, I was like, well, that's stupid. He could have got free carpet. Why didn't he? I like, didn't understand it at all. But now I understand because he set a standard and that standard matters because the why matters. It's not just the what. So let's find out David's why. Uh, there's a lot of really complicated and hard to pronounce names in this passage, so bear with me as we read through 2 Samuel chapter 8, 3 through 14. David also destroyed the forces of Hadadzer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah, when Hadadzer marched out, it's a hard one, and control, his control along the Euphrates River. David captured 1,000 chariots, 7,000 charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers. He crippled all the chariot horses except for 100 chariots. When the Armenians from Damascus arrived to help King Hadazer, King David killed 22,000 of them. Then he placed several army garrisons in Damascus, the Armenian capital. And the Armenians came, became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. So the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. David brought the gold shields of Hadazer's officers to Jerusalem along with large amounts of bronze from Hadazer's town of Tebaha and Berotha. When King Toh of Hamath, come on Bible, heard that David had destroyed the entire army of Hadazer, he sent his son Joram, King David, for his successful campaign. Hadazer and Toy had been enemies and were often at war. Joram presented David with many gifts of silver, gold, and bronze. So this is a list of his, his victories and how he did it and how many he had. And it's a part of a much longer list we find in scripture. And then it says in 11, King David dedicated all these gifts to the Lord as he did with the silver and gold from the other nations he had defeated. From Edom, Moab, Amnon, Philistia, and Amalek, and from Hadazer, son of Rehoboah, king of Zoab. David dedicated his victories to God. He, he received, he, he found gold and he found treasures and he was, given, he was given the tributes of war and he was promised all these things and he gave them to God because he wanted to honor God. Verse 13, it became even more famous when he returned from destroying eight, 15,000 Edomites at the Valley of Salt. He placed an army garrison throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became David's subjects. In fact, the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. You want to know David's why? He did all of these things for one reason, to honor God. Whenever David was victorious, we read in scripture that he took the fruits of his labor, the fruits of war, and he presented them to God. He brought them back to God to honor God. He wanted God to be honored and glorified. We know this to be true. We can read it throughout the Psalms he wrote. We can see it throughout his actions he took. Whenever he was victorious, he presented things back to God. He wanted to see God honored and glorified. It wasn't for his own name to be exalted, for his own profit. He presented his victories to God. And what we see in that story is, is David presents them to God, and then he, he gets another victory. 
And then he presents them to God, and then he gets another victory. And then he presents them to God, and he gets another victory. He presents it to God, he gets another victory. What we see here is a pattern that we can apply to our lives. If you want to be victorious, the minute you succeed, what is your responsibility? Point all the honor to God. And when God gets the honor and glory for your victory, what are you going to see more of? Victory. Because God will bring honor to his name. And if he gets to do it through you, you get to be honored through you. Our goal should not be our own honor or glory. Our, our goal should not to be to elevate our own name. It should be to bring honor to God. Here at Freedom Valley, I, I work with the youth group, and I want to be a thriving youth ministry, a place where students understand, but I want it to succeed not for my own benefit. Here at this church, I want to have the greatest kids ministry imaginable, but not just for the benefit of my children who are in those halls every weekend. I want it to be for the benefit of our God and the glory of our God. I want Freedom Valley to be a victorious church, but not so that my name is lifted up, glorified, or known but so that God's popularity is praised throughout the world. I don't want people to, to praise Freedom Valley. You gotta hear their amazing preaching. You gotta see the awesome lights. You gotta, you gotta hear the excellence that they do it. I want people to go, you gotta come to Freedom Valley Church. Jesus is there every week. God will change your life there. That's the honor that I want to be spread around our communities. When people hear about FV Church, they go, oh, I hear that's a real church where real people really worship Jesus, where, where, where we pour the honor back to him. And it's really, it's, it can be simple for me to say that because like everything that I work with, all those things I mentioned, they're church related, that is my job. Uh, every now and then people will ask me what I do, like people who I've known for like six or seven months, like, like hey, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, this, I'm a, I'm a pastor, that's, that is my job, that's my only job, I don't have another job, I'm blessed that this is my everything. My interaction with people outside of church is at the cash register. <laughs> like, like, this is what I get to do. But what about those of us who, who work in the secular world? How do we give honor and glory to God? This is a much tougher question. I'm going to be really honest. You guys have a, have a harder time with this. If you work in a government building, for example, and somebody comes to you and they're like, you did a really great job on those TPS reports. I don't, I don't know what you do for a living, but you did a really great job on that paperwork. You, you, that presentation was amazing. How do you give honor to God in that moment? Do you go, yeah, you know, I, I, I do everything the best. That's, that's what Christians do. Do you, do you risk it? Do you say, hey, thank God that I get to do it here. I love my job. Like, how, how do you give God the honor in those moments? You know, you can't, you can't always say it as clearly as that, but, but what is your why? Was it so that you could get praise and promotion for your own name? Or is it so that people see you as someone who works hard as unto the Lord? I explain this to my youth students all the time. You can worship washing the dishes. Actually, you should worship washing the dishes. Scrub those dishes to the best of your ability. Parents, stop elbowing your students. <laughs> like, scrub those dishes to the best of your ability, so as unto the Lord. If you do anything with excellence as unto the Lord, it's an act of worship. And that's how we honor God at our workplaces, in our personal lives, in our finances, in our everything. But the why is really what matters. David could have been, like, the greatest military victor ever, like Alexander. Angus Khan and, and grown his own name, but instead he reflected the honor back to God. And that's 
why he is honored in the lineage of Jesus. That's why he's remembered in scripture, not just in history textbooks, because he reflected it all back to God. We know that to be true because of Psalms 29, one and two. These are David's words recorded. Honor the Lord, you heavenly beings. Honor the Lord for his glory and strength. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The why of David's life was reflected in his worship, in his excellence, in his pursuit of presenting himself as a tool of his king. In your daily life, do you do everything for God's honor and glory? Or do you do it for your own? You're the only one who can ever know this, your motives, you and God. But check your heart, know your motives, search yourself. I spent, after Candace's message last week, and I'm rehashing some of the stuff she said last week, I spent this week gut-wrenching and checking my motives. Why? Why? Because right now I'm working on rebuilding and restructuring some of the things in my life so as to better be a leader here at Freedom Valley Church, a leader to my family, a leader to myself, and I gotta know why. Is it because I just, I really love to succeed, I wanna be wealthy, I wanna be well-liked, or, or is it because I need to do things with excellence for my God. And I had to check my heart and my motives and search. And we all need to do that time and time again. Why are we doing the things we're doing? And once we've determined the why, and hopefully for you, the why always comes back to honoring God. I wanna honor God. And don't just slap that sticker on, really know in your heart, I wanna honor God. Once it comes back, why do I wanna win? I wanna win to honor God. Then next question, and this question can be harder, how do I honor God? How do I honor God? David was a king. He honored God by leading his people well. That's, that's an obvious one. I, I'm a pastor. I honor God by, by preaching the word well. I get that one. But, but in our daily lives, you know, as, as, a, as a mom, as a, as a businessman, as a businesswoman, as a teacher, as a, as a uh, surveyor, as, as whatever you do, as a contractor, what do you do? How do you do it to honor God? How do you bring honor to him through that thing? So let's, let's look at David's life to figure out how David became someone who honored God through everything he did. Um, I want to go to the most famous story of David, one so famous that like, even if you've never stepped foot in church, you've heard of it, David and Goliath. The story of a young shepherd boy who had been crowned king in a weird kind of ceremony, but wasn't king, had never even stepped foot in a palace, hadn't even been trained didn't know how to do any of these things. He was just a shepherd boy who, who watched his father, father's sheep and, and worshiped in the fields. How he went to visit his brothers on the battlefield and he hears a, a giant among men, the, the greatest warrior in an entire army standing out holding his spear, which is taller than a man. And, and he's shouting at an army saying, I am the greatest warrior. If any of you will fight me, but you won't because you're cowards and he's mocking God's people. And David hears it and he's like, what's going on? How could you allow this man to mock God's people? And, and David then responds by, by questioning and questioning and questioning. And then we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 17, 31. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. I, I feel like I need to remind you guys, David is a young man. Only trusted with watching the sheep. 
he wasn't allowed to be in the fight. His brothers were warriors. He wasn't a warrior. He was the youngest. He was the one left behind. He, he was a shepherd, not a soldier. And he's like, I'll go fight him. And Saul replies, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lion and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. How did David bring honor to God? He started right where he was. He started as a shepherd with baby steps, with baby steps. Listen, David was crowned king at a young age, well, not crowned, anointed king, which meant the man of God came into his house and said, God tells me you will one day be the king. And he dumps oil all over his head. And he's a young man, the youngest of all his brothers. And, and he's, he's anointed. And then he's like, well, now what? And his dad's like, go back and take care of the sheep. You are a child of God, a prince or a princess. Well, now what? Go back and, and do your job. Go back to your everyday life. And do it with excellence. And that's what David did. He was to watch after his sheep. I don't know about you, but if I'm guarding 500 sheep, David guarded, but, and a lion comes and it takes one, I'm going to be like, cost of doing business. That's just breakage. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, that, it'll keep the lion away another day. I'm good. If a bear comes and grabs a sheep, I'm going to be like, sorry, dad, they got one. Or, you know, like sheep just get sick and die. That, maybe that one just, that one's gone. But David knew to take the steps necessary to become the man that God needed him to be. And if God puts before him a lion, well, that's the next fight he's got to fight. And he takes this step towards a lion. And a lion does not sound like a baby step to me. A bear doesn't sound like a baby step to me. But it was for David because he was taking little steps until he got to a giant. You compare a lion or a bear to a man of war, a giant of war, who's fought his entire life, who's, who's described in the Bible as nine feet tall, carrying armor that weighs more than I do. Like, I'll take the lion. The lion was the baby step. It was the little step necessary. But you know what David did long before he fought that lion and that bear? He learned how to carry himself. He learned how to use a sling. He learned how to use his rod to defend. He learned his job and he did it well and he worshiped God the whole time. I imagine when he faced that lion, he brought God with him. He said, God, you've anointed me king and you won't allow me to fall and you defend your children and you'll defend these sheep. So I'm going against this lion in the name of the living God and he faced it down because it's what was in front of him. What's in front of you? What are the steps that you need to take to become victorious? Only you can know these things. You see, David was doing a principle that, that I'm calling stacking victories. Stacking victories one by one, one after another, one little victory after one little victory, so that when he finally comes to face the giant, he's 
on a stack of victories that make him stronger than the man he stood in front of, that make him taller than the giant in front of him. We need to begin stacking our victories now. I don't, I don't know how long you've been a believer. I don't know what the victories you need to stack are. Maybe you're here in this room and you're like, I don't have any victories in my faith. I've never received God. Well, let me help you out on some of the victories that you can start stacking. First off, you came to church this morning. There's a victory. It might seem like the easiest possible thing, but guess what? People don't do it. You've got a victory. Count it. Like that, that might be the one like when I have 51 victories and 50 losses, I came to church 51. I've now got more victories than I do losses. I am stacking victories. You came to church this morning. You worshiped God this morning. You sang the words. You prayed the prayer. You are here. There is a victory. Put it on. Check it. You're hearing the word of God preached. There's a victory. There's three. Even if you've never received Jesus as your savior, you have three victories in the win column already but only if you acknowledge them as that. If you're like, well, that's nothing. It's not, I didn't, that, then it isn't. But, but David, he acknowledged the lion and the bear. I bet you soldiers would be like, what's a lion compared to a giant? A bear is nothing. We've all killed bears when we're fighting off sheep, but this is a man of war. But David went, he is no different than the lion because I had no power to kill that lion on my own. He's no different than a bear because I had no power to kill that bear on my own. You came to church today through the power and love of Jesus Christ that brought you here, and that counts for something. You worshiped God because I can't worship God on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to help me. That counts for something. And you can begin to continue stacking victories in your favor here. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's a victory. Claim it and believe it. Have you been baptized? State, I am a baptized believer, washed in the blood of Jesus. These are very churchy words, but they mean something. Stack some victories. Have you tithed? Start. It will grow your faith in ways you can't imagine. Did you, did you tithe today? I, I put my trust in God in all things, in my finances, and he will see me win. Have you prayed today? Have you prayed for an enemy? Have you challenged your own belief with one of the, the Bible reading challenges on our app? Have you, have you taken a step? Have you seen or heard of miraculous healings? Do you believe in the power to, to conquer sin and death? Do you know that God is coming back? Once you've begun to conquer these things step by step, you're stacking victory after victory after victory. And what we learn about stacking victories is our victories begin to shape who we are. Our losses shape who we are as well, but chose to focus on his victories. And we can do the same. We can do the same. You can say, I'm not worried about my finances because I have tithed and I put my faith in God. I'm not, I'm not worried about my, my job or my workplace because my faith is in something higher. Stack some victories. And we need to begin taking these baby steps because, listen, Goliath is out there and he's ready to fight and attack you and it will happen one day. But if you've started where you are, if you're a new believer here in this place, it is not your responsibility to go looking for Goliath right now. It's your responsibility to be in the field watching the sheep, worshiping your God, stacking some victories because trust me, Goliath will find you. Will you be ready when he does? What if that whole time that David was in the, the field, he just sat there saying, this is stupid. I'm supposed to be at war. Ah, oh, man, that bear got the sheep. Well, that's somebody else's problem. I'm the 
And then that day comes and Goliath is there and he doesn't know how to fight. He doesn't know what to do. Start stacking some victories. I've been looking into this in my life more and more and more recently. And this week, I've been hung up on a, on a podcast that I, that I found, Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast, about atomic goal setting based off, uh, there's an author he interviews who wrote the book, Atomic Goals. And, and it's all about how to set different types of goals. Goal setting is big here at our church. We really believe in the value of setting a goal and achieving it, marking off that you've done it. And, and one of the things that he talks about in this podcast that really changed the way I'm viewing goal setting right now is he talked about two types of goal setting, and I've, I'd never heard this before. The first one is something I'm more familiar with, outcome-based goals. I think m- most of us will be familiar with this type of goal setting. An outcome-based goal would be, I want to lose 30 pounds. I don't want to lose 30 pounds, but that's the goal. I want to lose 30 How do I accomplish that goal? A great way is crash diet, you know? You know, ketogenic diet, just hop on it, lose the weight, boom, you get there, you're done. But what happens once we've accomplished the outcome? So many studies have taught us that outcome-based goals, when they're done, we, we stop the habit and we move on back to our regular lives and we are significantly more likely to return to the behaviors that led us to need to set the outcome-based goal in the beginning. Because we're saying to ourselves, I wanna achieve something, once I've achieved it, I'm done. This isn't what the author says is the right way to set goals. He says we need to set identity-based goals. Identity-based goals. So an identity-based goal is structured around the idea, I, I want to lose 30 pounds. Okay, but that's an outcome-based goal. So what do I really want? I want to become the kind of person who doesn't need to lose 30 pounds because they live a healthy lifestyle. Okay, so, so who, what does that person look like? Okay, maybe that person, they regularly. Or maybe that person, they, they eat a specific diet. Maybe that person does these specific things. And then you retroactively look at what is the easiest thing that they do? What's the first step? So someone who goes to the gym every day. I, I know for me, if I started go to, going to the gym like every day, working out an hour, I would be exhausted, drained, and I'd crash. But what if I just show up every day, scan my card, and leave? I'm actually building a habit and, and training myself that I'm an individual who goes to the gym every day no matter what. I haven't actually worked out yet, but I'm building the identity as a person who goes to the gym. It sounds ridiculous, right? It, it, that's, that, you can't lose 30 pounds by just scanning your card and going to the gym. You're right, you can't, but you can create an identity of a gym goer. And then once you're, you have the identity of a gym goer, you're already at the gym. Maybe I'm going to do one exercise. That's it. It's really attainable. I'm going to walk over. I'm going to do one exercise every day. Boom, boom, out. And you start doing that. Now you've got the identity of someone who works out every day. You still, you're not going to lose 30 pounds doing that, but you're cultivating an identity through baby steps that are maintainable, achievable, measurable, and easily to succeed. And you continue to grow that until one day you, you don't even remember what the original goal was because you have transformed your own identity, step by step by step. This is Christianity, guys. That's what Jesus wants us to do. When you meet Jesus, you receive a new identity. The old is gone, the new has come. But all of the reminders throughout our lives are still there of the old. And we need to start stacking some victories. We need to get to 51 victories quick because we're still gonna have the reminder of all those losses in our past, aren't we? 
We need to remove those reminders of our losses and replace them with as many victories as possible. So start small. I'm gonna go to church. 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 Go to church. Not, I go to church sometimes. If you go to church every week, what are you? You're a churchgoer. You've now changed who you are. All right, now you, you gotta take the next one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray every day. And all right, so how can I do that? Well, I eat every day. Maybe I'll just pray before every meal. So you start praying before every meal. That defines who you are. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a person who prays. All right, I need to pray more. All right, so I'm gonna start praying. Uh, every time I get mad at someone, I'm gonna pray. And you start stacking some victories until you have absolutely transformed and changed the way you see yourself. You see, we often think, if I believe it, I'll be it. But, but you actually believe what you do more than who you say you are. You need to say the things so that you'll do the things. It's a circle. I need to declare I'm a child of God so that I will do the things that make me a child of God. And once I'm doing the things a child of God, I will believe even more I am a child of God. It's a circle, but we have to keep going on it step by step by step by step by step. So many people want to jump out to the last level. I want to I do the hardest thing. No, just little bits, little bits, little bits at a time. So in whatever area of your life that you're trying to improve so that to bring honor to God, because remember the why is important, what about your finances? I wanna, I wanna be a more financially responsible person. Why? Because God's people are good stewards. The Bible tells us that, so I need to be more financially responsible. I wanna be a wealthy person. I wanna be uh, Jeff Bezos, the, the richest man in the world. I wanna be him. Okay, well, what type of things would he do to be financially responsible? Well, probably, you know, spend a billion dollars, I don't really know. But, but like he probably manages his financial accounts. Okay, do I balance my own checkbook? Okay, let, that seems kind of difficult. Do I know my own bills? Ah, that one seems kind of difficult. Do I know how much money I have right now? Whatever it is, do that, accomplish it, you've got a victory. And then continue to do that until you're ready to move into the next victory and the next victory and the next victory until you're looking at your savings account going, it's time to start investing. You gotta start small and you gotta stay consistent. Little goals. What about, what about tithing? Tithing is so big to so many people because how can I tithe? I can barely make my rent. Well, you can start small. Start small. I believe the Bible is very clear. 10% is what God calls for. But any step of faith towards God will be honored by God. If, if, if you're like, I, I, don't, I don't have the faith for 10 right now, what, what do you have? 1%, do it, do it, and do it regularly. And then you'll identify yourself as, I'm a giver. I invest in the kingdom of God, that's who I am. And you'll wanna see more of that. And I can promise you that as you take steps towards God, he's gonna take steps back towards you. I wanna become a person who every day. I wanna become a person who talks to people about my faith. Do you talk to one person, even other Christians about your faith? I'm amazed at the number of Christians who can't even talk to other Christians about their faith, only about sports. Hey, hey, what's God teaching you lately? Man, just say that. What, like, like this, is what I, this is what I learned. I was, I was listening to this sermon online and it really challenged me. Do you talk about your faith? What's a small step in that? Maybe comment on a, on a Bible-based post on Facebook. Maybe share something. Take the steps until you are identifying yourself as someone who shares your faith. Whoever you wanna be, carve out that identity and take the small steps to become that person so that you stack victories until you're standing like a giant. Because guess what? Giants are coming. First Samuel 17, 36, I wanna read it again. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do this, I will do it to this pagan Philistine too. 
for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistines. You gotta be willing, able to say, the Lord who rescued me when the Goliath comes. When the, when the battle comes to your doorstep, can you say, the Lord who rescued me from the hands of this Philistine? Because he will rescue you. you do you guys know that we need to be willing to take big steps too? You have to be willing to take big steps of faith. There's a, an adage in the Christian world that says, says, God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you guys ever heard this myth? <laughs> because it is a myth. God will give you more than you can handle. You, you know where this idea comes from? It, it comes from 1 Corinthians. I wanna read that real quick. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation, and it's talking about temptation, that's important. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So people take that and they say, God will never give you more than you can handle. It says, God will never let you tempted beyond what you can bear. But if you stop there, you think God will never give me more than I can handle. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He will absolutely give you more than you can handle on your own. He will, he will. David, a, a young boy, a shepherd boy, cannot handle a giant on his own. But with God, that giant doesn't have a chance. He will give you more than you can handle. He has constantly given me more than I can handle. But the times that I had victory are the times where I said, God, you'll give me a way out. What is it? It's you. It's your victory. It's admitting it. It's following you. It's talking to other believers. It's rising up in my faith. It's stacking some victories. It's taking a big step. It's whatever the situation calls for. He will give me a way out. And that way out, more often than not, is just simply saying, Jesus, I cannot do this on my own. Not saying, Jesus, your word says you won't give me more than I can handle, so I got this. It's saying, I cannot do this on my own. Therefore, I know you're going to do something. I'm ready. I'm ready. But if you want to be ready, you have to have some victories. You have to have those baby steps taken so that you're ready to take the big step. But, but some of us, we're more afraid of the big step than we are the baby steps. We've taken the baby steps. We, we, we've gone to church for years. We've, we've had conversations with our faith, with our friends. We go to home groups or growth groups or start class. These are all baby steps we've intentionally set up as a church so that you have on-roads and steps up and victories. We want to have more victories than they know how to count. So we create those avenues and those pathways so that you can succeed. We want that. But at some point, you got to face down the Goliath in your life. you got to be ready to grow brave and get ready to fight. You gotta be prepared to rely fully on God when you face Goliath. So every now and then as a church, we offer a Goliath ready for you to knock him down. We offer a battle ready for you to fight. And, and th these, these, these big moments, they're not right for everyone. So we often offer them very passively. We call them mission trips. Missions trips designed specifically to, to test your faith. We, we have our missions vision here at Freedom Valley is so that you can see what God can do through you. 
I want you to see what God can do through you. And we go on a lot. I often passively stand on this stage and I say, and if God is leading you, you should go on this trip. That, that's normally how I recruit for missions trips. Well, we have a mission trip coming up that in prayer last week, you know, prayer is another big step for individuals. You should come to our prayer nights. They're the first Sunday of every month, six o'clock. We pray and seek God. This time we started praying, interceding on behalf of new believers in our church, praying that God would help them in, ma- in, in, in miraculous ways, praying that God would change lives. Well, during that prayer, praying for the culture of our church to change to a way that we rely fully on God. God told me that this next trip, I can't recruit in the same way. I can't passively just wait for individuals to decide whether this is the right time for them or not. I need to do it differently. I need to be active and aggressive in my recruitment. And this is a a Goliath thing for me. I don't like telling people what they should do Because what if they listen to me and, and they get hurt? What if they listen to me and it's too hard? What if they listen to me and they fall short? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good at it. I'm very scared of telling people what to do. But God made it clear, and I got to listen to him. July 2nd through the 13th, those are our current dates. It might be the 3rd to the 13th. Flight travels always. Our church is going to France. We're going to France to partner with Missions SOS a missionary group with a culture that I want our church to catch, to partner with one of the largest churches in all of France and put on a large-scale missions festival there in Mulhouse, France, on the border of Switzerland and Germany. I want to take at least 30 individuals from Freedom Valley Church on this missions trip. That number might not sound like a lot to you, but considering our average missions trip attendance lately, five to 12, it's a lot. It's a scary number for me. But God made it clear to my heart, this needs to be the largest missions trip we've ever taken. And you know when it came? When I was praying, God, I wanna hear testimonies and stories of life change daily at Freedom Valley Church. You know how we'll see stories of, of life change, of radical testimonies, if people will step out and face Goliath. Now, I think this is the perfect first-time missions trip for individuals, and I'll, I'll spend some time telling you why. One, it, it, it's France. This isn't, this isn't a scary environment. France is, is very opposed to the public preaching of the gospel. It is a largely atheistic and a very growing Muslim population with a tremendously low Christian population. However, It's culturally familiar to us. It will be a Western society that will seem comfortable. So so it might not be as stretching as those who are are very worried about going to locations like Ethiopia where we faced persecution or, or Tanzania where we faced strong spiritual warfare on a regular basis. That's one reason it's gonna be accessible. Another reason, this is one of the more affordable mission trips we have ever taken including a transatlantic flight crossing the ocean and traveling to Europe, this trip will cost $2,100, $2,100 per individual. That's an incredibly affordable cost when you consider the length of stay in another country. This trip will be challenging though, I gotta tell you that. Anyone who has ever been on an SOS mission trip will explain to you that your schedule will be so full that you will go to bed exhausted, you will wake up exhausted, and you will walk every minute of every day exhausted. 
They will stretch you beyond your ability to handle because guess what? Then you'll have to rely fully on God. We will spend more time than you've ever spent. We will spend more time sharing the gospel than you've ever attempted. We want to spend the next eight months training and equipping individuals so that they are ready to be used by God in a way that they've never understood. I'm looking for people that will begin to identify themselves right now as missionaries. I'm a missionary going on a mission. People who will share that with everyone they encounter. People who will become evangelistic about this trip. I'm going to France. Are you going to France? Because God's going to do something amazing in the life of this church if we will step up, square our shoulders to Goliath and say, it doesn't matter how big you are, my God is bigger. This is not an easy thing for me to recruit for a trip like France. When I heard that France was the trip that fit on our calendar, I went, we can't go to France. Who does missions to France? We got to go to the, the dark continent. We got to go to the Dominican. We got go, to go to Haiti. We got to go to the poorest of the poor. And, and then and, and God went, why are you saying that? Don't I love the people of France? Because, because they're not poor, you won't give them an eternity in heaven? And then I thought, well, God, what if, what if France is the biggest trip I've ever taken? I can't, I can't resolve that in my heart. I love the people of the Dominican Republic. I've got family down there. What if they, they, like, I wanted Tanzania to be the biggest trip we've ever went on. Why France? And I can stand here and tell you, I have no idea. But I'm trusting God. Why France? Because that's the Goliath that squared his shoulders. Will you go? Will you start? Will you pray? Will you consider? Will you support this missions endeavor of Freedom Valley Church? Why are we doing it? For his honor and his glory. This trip will bring honor to God. Will you? Through it. In your bulletin, you'll actually find a, a missions insert with three opportunities for you to sign up to be involved. Consider going if you'd like to have a conversation with me, if you, you want to take a next step, if you want to support financially. What, what do you want to do? How do you want to be involved? What's your big step partnering with our church on this trip? You're going to hear about this trip a lot. I'm not going to stop talking about it because I want to bring as many people as possible. I want to change the culture. I want to change France. I want to change Missions SOS. I want God to change. I want, I want to see miracles. I want to see healings in the middle of that city. I want to see just the miraculous happen around us. And I want to be transformed by facing a Goliath. I want to step up, and I want you standing there with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person taking a step towards you. I ask that, that God, you would use us for your glory and your honor, not our own so that we can be victorious through you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Jason said something that's going to stick with me. He said, what we learn about stacking victories is that our victories begin to shape who we are. Right? They begin to shape who we are. A lot of us, we've let some failures shape who we are a little bit more than we've let the victories 
shape who we are. And we need to start looking back and saying, God, you did this amazing thing in my life. Of course you're going to do it again. Of course you're going to provide again. Of course you're going to heal again, right? Because you did it back there. We need to start letting the victories become who we are with God and infiltrate our conversations with him, right? Amen. I hope you're taking notes as well. I hope you'll share them with us on social media this week when we have this bigger conversation. We tend to learn a lot more, right? I hope you take notes. If not, my notes are all on the app, actually, as I was taking notes last night and today. I put them all on the sermon notes. So check them out before you go, and I hope you take some of this message, some of this victorious series with you. Would you all stand with me? Father, we thank you and we praise you one more time. We thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to come together in your house and encourage each other and love each other and worship you in your presence and leave here different than we came in. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would go out victorious with that attitude of victory so that we can see more victory in our life so that we can be grateful for what you've done. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, if you made a decision for the first time today to follow Jesus, we'd love to know about it and to help you with that. So text the number on the screen or check out the I'm in table. The prayer team will be available down here around the front. Please get prayer before you go today. We'll see you all next week.